Hi, and welcome back to HFC. I'd be lying if I said that, you know, I felt like I was entirely out of my weird little funk that I feel like I've been in. But I've been reading this book, and so it's not necessarily something that I came up with, more of something that I wanted to share. Because it feels like, along the lines of what I was trying to say last time, um, skipping over that sense of, you know, and I was, I'm okay, let me start off. I'm reading this, I'm reading this book and I've kind of mentioned it before. It's called The Awe of God by John Bevere. And um, it's very insightful, it talks about our relationship with God and, and the necessity of having, you know, a sense of awe and reverence towards God, meaning respecting him and acknowledging that he doesn't have to give us his love, but he chooses to. And realizing that it's not a guaranteed thing that we receive. It's guaranteed in the sense because we know that God will never forsake nor leave us, but it it's still not something that we should take for granted or feel entitled to. And one of these chapters was was called literally called entitled. And I truthfully feel like it spoke to what I was trying to say when I was saying that we are worthless. Not worthless, you know. Um as in we have no worth, but worthless in the sense that we are worthless than God. Like, He is not the one who's going to be missing out in this situation. He is not the one that's should be walking on eggshells. He's not the one that should be doing things out of respect, not out of fear that we're terrified of each other, but fear out of, I don't want to lose, you know, the love that you have for me. In the same way, it's like, um... I don't know specifically where it was talking about this in this book, but it was talking about, um, well, it actually was. So it mentions in this, in this book, I think I might've said Bible earlier. Sorry. Uh, it mentions in this book where he's talking about the discussion of what it means to be in communion with someone. And we know that in the Bible, you know, our relationship with God is referred to as communion. And I've talked about this before that when I was doing studies on, you know, the constitution and the creation of, United States, what it was talking about a lot was the sense of communion, which means to choose one another, that God has chosen us and now we need to choose Him. Except it's not as equal as we'd like it to appear to be. It's not as, oh yeah, you know, we're partners here. We're not partners. We're still termed co-heirs, meaning He's still the King. And when we're looking in terms of what a monarchy looks like, the prince is just as subject to the king as others. Can he speak to the king? Yes. Can he tell the king anything you know that he wants? Is he going to get anything he wants? No. But can he tell the king anything he wants? Yes. Okay. But at, at the end of the day, what the king says goes. It doesn't matter if the prince wants to marry someone or wants to, you know, go and farm. If the king says no, then the answer is no. And that's the way that it works with the king. And yet sometimes I feel like we confuse co-heir with co you know, co-ruling. We're not co-ruling. Um, we're not getting in the passenger seat. We're sitting in the back seat. God is in the front seat taking the taking the driver's wheel. Or technically, I guess we could sit in. We're not a co-pilot, I guess is what I meant to say. We're not like in the airplane and we're holding the other wheel. We should be taking the passenger seat. We should, oh God, don't you think, or could we possibly stop here? Or could we possibly go there? And if God says no, then that's final because he's in control. He has the wheel. But um, he compares our holy communion with the communion of man and wife. And he talks about how 
there's two types of holiness that we encounter when we come upon God, and those two types of holiness are justification and sanctification. Justification, which is <clears throat> typically when you're talking like stuff like that, it means evidence that you know the base is true. Um, like on paper justification is do are you you know cleansed? Are you with Christ? Are you in the sense of a matrimony, um, meaning marriage, are you married? Yes, you are married. That's justification. Uh, in that sense, we would say, am I saved? Yes, I am saved. I know that I'm saved because Jesus Christ paid the sin and he has washed me clean and made me clean. The next part comes to sanctification, which is in the ten- in the sense of human marriage, meaning acting out the roles of man and wife. You know, um, when we're in this relationship, it's not a guaranteed relationship. Um, we can still, you know, make that marriage rocky if we're being unfaithful, if we're, you know, seeking love and 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 passion and all these other things outside of the marriage. If <clears throat> we were in a marriage and we were seeking pleasure and, and joy and peace from other s- scenarios other than our, you know, spouse, that would create a rocky relationship. And that's similar to what happens with God when we put other things before him and we begin to do things not discussing in, oh, honey, I just bought a car. And it's like, what do you mean you didn't discuss that with me? Um, except in this case, biblically, God would be the, the man of the house where he would be making the final decisions, where we would have to be subservient to him and and listen to him and let him make the decisions where we again are in that passenger seat and we're making suggestions but it event- essentially the man of the house is the man of the house he makes the last word he makes a decision he is guiding he is leading and so in that same way it talks about how sanctification is similar to that where it's justification says you are saved but sanctification is the process in which you go about being saved not necessarily works um <clears throat> but living as God would want us to live, living true to his word. Justification says you are saved. Sanctification is reading your word to figure out, okay, the Bible is my manual. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be holy? Now, I know where I was talking about, um, or at least I always love to mention a verse. And so the verse that we're reading today is 1 Peter 1, 14, 16. It's actually mentioned in the chapter. And it says, Live as children of obedience to God. Do not conform yourselves to the evil desires that governed you in your former ignorance when you did not know the requirements of the gospel. But as the one who called you is holy, you yourselves also be holy in all your conduct and manner of living. For it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And this is, you know, God saying that. Now, because we are with God, we must be holy. We are called to be holy. And he's not talking about positional holiness because we have positional holiness. We have that justification. We have Jesus Christ died for our sins. We are now made, you know, holy in that sense. He's talking about behavioral holiness, which means the process of sanctification, which means following what the Bible says and, you know, holding his verses close to our heart and leading the life that God has called us to. Um, and I guess that that's what I'm saying, that too many of us are 
you know, pulling justification and we're doing the whole, do you know who my father is? And not in the good sense of, do you know who my father is? I stand with God, he's standing behind me. But the annoying one, we're like, do you know who my father is? You know, he'll have your head for this. And and pulling that stuff where you get pulled over by a cop and you're like, well, my father's a, a judge and, you know, and trying to scare the cop. But the cop isn't in the, in the same way you know, God's judgment isn't going to take favorites. If you are acting in a way that is not holy, then he's going to judge you as such. If you're acting in ways that are holy, well, we we re- we looked at the situation, you were fine, that's okay. Because there will be times where we will be accused by people as, as such, as not being holy, as, and whatnot. And, and, and gratefully for us, you know, other people are not judges. Neither are we. We are not to be. We are not meant to be judges of other people. We are solely meant to hold people um, accountable, not judge them, but remind them of what the word says. And sometimes they might come off weird, but do things in love and in kindness. Not well. Remember what the Bible says. You have to honor. You know what I mean? Like um, you shall not lie. Or the Bible says to turn the other cheek. You need to turn the other cheek for me. You need to forgive me. Like uh, something like that, but in the sense of, you know, someone's doing something wrong, you're like, well, remember what the Bible says. You know, we're supposed to forgive each other and 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 love on each other, and that we cannot be in God's presence, but also have hate for another man, or in that case, man or woman. And so, it really, I honestly feel like everybody should read this book. I love it. <laughs> It's it's very difficult for me to read through it because of that kind of you ever read something that's you feel is so impactful and it's just like everything tries to come into your into your time when you should be reading that book. It's just so good. And so I'm just going to read a, another couple of highlights that I read from this chapter and that'll be it. So he goes on to discuss um and I'm just reading from the book now. Just highlights. So it's not, you know, continued in this way. It's just highlights that I wrote or, and I'll try to kind of provide context if it's not um doesn't make sense normally it says and this is what uh john bevere wrote as i mentioned before the primary definition of holiness is separation unto god and this certainly includes purity the next part um i skipped over some stuff and then it says the blood of jesus does indeed cleanse us from all sin however we get confused when we mix the work of justification with the work of sanctification and when we repented and received Jesus Christ as our Lord, our sins were forgiven and we were washed completely clean. Skip some. And then it says, this is the work of justification. But the very moment we received justification, the work of sanctification, which is holiness, began. This is when what was done on the inside of us is worked out. Our new nature becomes an outward reality in the way that we live. And um, he does mention at some point, this is why sometimes we feel like, well, I don't know why, you know, I can't seem to um, get things right. I don't know why, like, you know, I can't mess things up. And it's because we're not living sanctified all the time. We're not living with that sense of fear and respect where we say that little things are okay to slip through. Oh, it's fine. It's just a little white lie. Or it's fine. I don't have to do that. Or we take God's commands as suggestions and we begin to lose the respect that we have for God. And one of the verses that he mentions consistently throughout this book is the part where... um, Let me see if I can find it. He mentions it a lot. 
where basically Peter's talking about seeking out um, a relationship with God with fear and trembling. And it's not in happiness and, 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 and joy and grace and mercy. It's uh, Philippians 2.12. My dear friends, you've always obeyed God when I was with you. It is even more important that you obey now when, while I'm away, with, away from you. Keep on working to complete your salvation with fear and trembling. And it's when we begin to lose that sense of fear of God and that sense of respect from God, and we begin to take His commands as suggestions, and we begin to believe you know, that what we want and what we feel is more important than what God wants or, or God feels. And, and I've mentioned it before, but one of my favorite verses was, um, I don't even know the verse— I'll always look it up just to make sure that I'm still right in my memory. And I I used to read it all the time because it was something that I used to do all the time. I used to always make up plans and I would freak out and worry about stuff that was in the future. And it's a verse that says, uh, what are you but a wisp to imagine or to think that you could have any, it's, this is like a very bad summarizing or paraphrasing of it. Do not take this for word for word. <laughs> find the <laughs> Find the verse for yourself. Um, Actually, you know what? I'm gonna look. Um, what are you but a wisp? Verse. Okay, so it's James four fourteen. It says, "Yet you do not know the least thing about what may happen tomorrow. What is the nature of your life? You are really but a wisp of vapor, a puff of smoke, a mist that is visible for a little while and then disappears into thin air." Um. And then it goes on to say, you ought to instead say, if the Lord is willing, we shall live and we shall do this or that. But as it is, you boast falsely in your presumption and your self-conceit, all such boasting is wrong. So any person who knows what is right to do, but does not do it to him, it is sin. And so that goes to speak for, if God is telling you to do something and you're not doing it, to you, it is a sin. And, and this is where we begin to wonder, like, but I'm not sinning. And, the, you know, the Bible doesn't say anything is wrong with not doing that. But this part does. That if God has told you to do something and you're not doing it to you, it is a sin. And that's when we begin to open doors. And that's when we begin to have struggles. But I'm not doing anything wrong, God. I'm, I'm not lying. I'm going to church. I'm praying. I'm reading my Bible. But you're not doing what God has called you to do. And so to you, it is, is a sin. And that part, if you want to read it yourself, is James chapter 4. Um, it's James chapter 4, 14 through 17 that I read. But the part before 14 was actually really good too. It's usually where I start in that verse. It's come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a city and spend a year there and carry on our business and make money. And then it goes on to say that yet you do not know the least thing about what may happen tomorrow. What is the nature of your life? You are really but a wisp of vapor. And it's calling our own our, our own sense of entitlement or a sense of conceitedness and self-centeredness into into perspective. It's saying like how do you realize how crazy it is when you think that your judgment or your sense of, you know, perspective is much more important than God's when you're saying stuff like, oh, but I, I don't want to do that. Forgetting that God never asked. Not only that, but as that verse 17 says, so any person who knows what is right to do, but does not do it to him, it is a sin. And so when God tells us to be nice or kind to someone, when we are refusing to do that, to that, it has now become a sin. And when we open that door to sin, that door opens to every sin, not just you know, oh, the cute sins or the acceptable sins, because there is no sin that is acceptable. Every sin mars us. I mean, the Bible does talk about other sins that are more um, impactful. And I'll, actually, I'll read that. 
in which I, it's it's something that I actually read recently and I thought was powerful. It's also in that same chapter um, of the book of God, and it talks. It's First uh, Thessalonians four, verse three through five. It says, "God will God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and His ways." And I can't help begin, but begin to wonder if this is why, you know, so many people in society nowadays are feeling like they have no control over their mind, over their body. They feel lost. Like, I just, I, and they're feeling the need to talk to people and feeling the need to take medication. And I'm not saying that mental illness does not exist, which would be kind of, you know, stupid considering my own, um, struggles with insecurities and anxieties and and depression and fear and all those things that I had had previously. Um, But I'm saying like we're opening doors to those things when we are not staying away from sexual sin. And, And that's, there's other parts that talk about sexual sin that talk about, you know, the impact of what it means to live in sexual sin, that our body is a temple and that when we you know, take part in sexual sin. We are marring the temple that God has created. We are ruining the vessel that God has created. And in doing so, we are kind of affecting the way that he is able to fill us. And so it takes a while to overcome sexual sin. And I've also read people like, um, I feel like this is totally off topic, <laughs> but I've, I've heard people say that there are sexual ties and I've heard people um, say that there are no ties. Um that that God can cleanse us of them and then God cannot cleanse them and it's just a whole big thing. But even just the implications that they could possibly be a thing is is worrisome. Like we're opening ourselves up to other people by by um, taking part in sexual sin and with society the way it is about oh sex positivity and and you know um, this negative kind of outlook on you know being a virgin and and being abstinent and doing all these things and and it's kind of a weird like when i think of abortion and this isn't even totally off topic when i think of abortion i this is gonna sound weird and i don't mean it to sound bad before i even get to the whole part of you know should there be a choice or pro-life pro-choice i get to the point of we or not we necessarily, because not everybody is like that, but society is to a point where they're like, oh yes, I'm going to have fun no matter the consequence. You know, um, where something was created specifically, like sex was created, you know, to give birth to something, uh, to give birth to something, well, <laughs> to procreate, to have children, to, to, you know, be bountiful and whatnot. But we have created into a thing, oh, I just want to have fun. I want to indulge. I want to, you know, uh, feed into my carnal pleasures and whatnot. Um, everything else be damned, you know, like I'm not going to care about the other person, um, which is why we've gotten to the point where, uh, why, which is why we're seeing things like rape because they don't give a damn about the other person. We've not thought of sex as a, is it purity thing? We've not thought of sex as a, um, you know, being, this is a special connection. We've thought of it, oh, it's fun. And if you're not doing it, you know, you're lame or something along those lines. And so we're seeing rape. We're seeing people getting drugged for sex. We're seeing sex be sold. We're seeing sex be traded. We're seeing people offer themselves up for sex because it's it's become this, oh, whatever. Um, 
and and we're seeing kids and and whatnot throw themselves at each other for sex and 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 then pregnancy which used to be the the goal of sex um amongst um has now become the unwanted consequence oh Ugh, I can't believe, you know, that this child dare come and ruin my... And it's just going back to that sense of entitlement, that sense of, you know, that my wants, my desires are more important than the creation, or the, the, the creation of this thing, which God had a purpose for. God did not have that purpose of sex where it was meant to be, you know, everybody was having sex with each other and everybody was just having fun and it wasn't meant to be for fun. Not in, in, in and of itself. I'm not... <laughs> but, like... It's just weird the sense of entitlement that people have begun to get. And and that's what I was trying to say. Like, we need to acknowledge the fact that we are worthless, that our opinion is not worth the same as God's, that our opinion is not to be held at the same level as God's, that God is God. He is the King of Kings. And and I feel like even now I'm thinking about the Ten Commandments and thou shalt not have no other idols before God. And yet, who, we've, who have we been idolizing? We've been idolizing ourselves so much to the point that we have UBU, you know, and, and people so concerned with their, their physical outlook, their physical appearance and all this stuff that that we're losing sight of what does God want us to do? And people are saying, I, I can't hear what God is trying to tell me. But it, it's not that we can't hear Him, it's that we've chosen for so long to not hear Him that we don't even recognize His voice. But anyway, um, like I said, I just love this book. Um, it's just really eye-opening. I do really think that's important to acknowledge, though, that there is that sense of, you know, I am made clean, the justification, and then the sanctification, that now this is how I become holy or how I stay holy, or how I live in holiness. I have been invited into holiness, now I have to do the role of holiness. I have been married into this marriage, but now I have to do the role of a spouse. Okay, Our lives are not the same as when we existed before. And um, that's one thing that kind of freaks me out about marriage, which is a side note, because I know that that's not a small commitment. Um, and I know that having kids is not a small commitment. And I know that all doing all those things is not a small commitment because to have kids is one thing, but to be a parent is another. That's uh, the, To be a father is one thing, but to be a, you know, a dad is another. I can father a child, but I have to be a dad uh, you know, to raise a child. Um, I can marry someone, but to be a husband... I have to do a certain thing. I can be a Christian, but to be a co-heir with Christ, I have to live in that holiness. Anyway, that's it for this week's episode. Um, As always, let's go ahead and end with a prayer. I'm going to read the prayer that he put here, um, and I'll just add on to it. The prayer he put here was, Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that you work in me both to will and accomplish your good pleasure. I desire to live outwardly what you've already done for me inwardly. God, I also pray 
that you open our eyes to the ways that we've deceived ourselves, where we've put ourselves before you and not even realized it. Where we start to build this sense of respect for you. I pray that you forgive us for losing sight of this. And I pray that you will help us to realize it, to take your word for what it is. When you speak to us, it is not a suggestion, it is a command. I re- I rebuke, Lord, those, those that sense of self-centeredness and protection of our self, you know, image where we say, no, I can't do that. That's too embarrassing, Lord. I pray that you help us to be brave and courageous in living out your word, that you ignite in us a fire to live as you intended, to dance and praise you and worship you like the, like the, great, the greats in the Bible where they praised and worshiped and they didn't care who was around. I want to see that, Lord. I pray and I ask for that, Lord. I I ask that you you do that within each and every one of us that is listening now, that you create within us a burning fire, a burning passion for you, something that threatens to consume us, but instead it doesn't. It's just, we exist in the fire like Meshach and Abednego. <laughs> I cannot remember the names, Lord, but you know, But you know what I mean, Lord, that we just want to exist in this passion, Lord, and not be consumed, but to be cleansed and and for there to still be existing works there, Lord, to be moving in you and to be receptive to you and listening to you and hearing you and changing our perspective from a self-centered Christianity to a God-centered Christianity, something that we've been moving away from as a society, Lord. I pray that the people who are listening to this become the the movers and the changers, that they begin to speak to people and share the word with people and move as you intended us to do. I pray that you forgive us for our sins. Lead us not into temptation, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of HFC. I did remember the names of those people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thanks for listening to this uh, week's episode. And I pray that you really... I just want all of us to grow, you know, and all of us to continue moving in this relationship that we have with God. Have a God-blessed week. See you next time. Bye.